the, there was one there was one time I, I, I'll never forget where we had a discussion where saying, you know, oh, you know, the guys in Barcelona like Xavi and Iniesta and that, that they didn't need to go in the gym. So why do we? And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but with all due respect, we don't have some of the greatest players of all time on our team right now, you know, and, and it's a different league. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So I'm delighted to have Adam Parr on this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. And a couple of years ago, Adam was in a very, very fortunate position, a position that not many people in performance sport will be in, but coming to an organization and starting from scratch. So this is what we discuss in this episode. If he could, if anyone could do that, what would they do? Well, Adam's done it. What has he learned from this process? How did he choose what staff were going to come on board? How did he choose what facility? Because they've built a new facility. What facility they wanted? How are they going to build the program from nothing? So this is a, for me, it's a fascinating episode and it's a fascinating topic because like I say, not many people will have this opportunity, but in the mind, I'd probably going through it every day, what they'll do differently if they could start from scratch, what the change, what they say the same. So a really interesting episode coming with Adam, which if you're in this space, the form and space, you'll absolutely love. This episode of the Pacer Performance Podcast is sponsored by Vald. So I'm really proud to have Vald as a sponsor again. And after a recent visit to Vald HQ in Brisbane for their annual Vildcon event, it's incredible to see how far they've come as a company since I last visited uh, at the start of 2018. So from a very humble office of less than 20 employees back then, it's amazing to see how far they've come. They now employ a global team of more than 200 that support clients across 100 countries, including many of the world's elite and professional sporting organizations. So an incredible uh, rise to where they are now. So this is a huge testament to just the impact they're having across the industry with their innovation, but also continued commitment to support clients. So if you're a performance practitioner, you probably know all about Vald, but if not, I'd recommend that you check them out at valdperformance.com. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic floor and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organizations through their own proprietary formula to create a world-class environment for coaches and athletes alike. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf has been the cornerstone of training facilities for over a decade. With the addition of the new Icon X Rack Range, Play are once again set to elevate the industry. If you're interested in knowing more about Play, check out their website, play.us, that's P-L-A-E dot U-S. So without further ado, over to the episode with Adam. Adam Parr, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Rob, thanks a lot. Really, really appreciate it. Been listening for a long time, so I'm excited to, to get into the discussion today. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Anyone who doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a quick run-through, quick bio, and then we'll dive into some of the stuff that we've got um, planned to talk about, about what you're doing at the club? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Adam Parr, and as you said, head of performance currently at Charlotte FC in Major League Soccer. Before this... Uh, my road is kind of winding. Um, I 
did my undergrad at San Diego State in kinesiology, and after that, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist and realized I wanted to go in the performance space, so wound up doing an internship uh, at Exos back when it was core performance, uh, so that kind of shows my age a bit, and wound up after that working in some sports medicine clinics and, and got into MLS uh, through that, first as an intern and then as an assistant at um, Chivas USA, which no longer is an MLS team. So again, shows my age a bit. Um, the owners of LAFC purchased them, folded them, and then a few years later rebranded as LAFC. So I started there um, as an intern, I, like I said, probably God, 12, 13 years ago for a couple of years, and then new ownership purchased them at that time and went a different direction. So that whole staff kind of went to Toronto FC and I stayed in LA and I, along with working part-time for them, was also running my own fitness and performance company on the side in Beverly Hills. Um, and so wound up continuing to do that, built that up for a while, was working with, you know, a lot of A-listers and then obviously um, athletes in the off-season and doing off-season training, things like that. And it, it was great, but at the same time, really, really missed the team setting. And so after five or six years of doing that, um, decided to do my master's through ACU uh, and did a master high performance sport. And with through that, was able to get back in the team setting with the San Jose Earthquakes organization uh, in MLS through their reserve team, which was located in Reno, Nevada. And so made a, a great transition from Los Angeles to Reno, Nevada. But it was uh, it was a wonderful time, actually. And I was able to, because it was a lower level, really take everything that I was learning in the master's program um, that I kind of was upskilling myself because I'd been out of the team setting for a while and, and put it into practice the very next day with not quite the pressures that you get with the first team. You know, you could kind of make a little more mistakes or experiment a little bit more because it's, you know, a lot of players that we're trying to develop. And so I was there for a year and a half and it was great. And then wound up going to Minnesota United and MLS um, first as just the uh, performance specialist, strength coach. And while I was there, I moved there in January, 2020. And two years later, um, everything shut down because of COVID. So, you know, moved halfway across the country where I didn't know anybody and all of a sudden was in the middle of COVID and wondering if my job was still going to be safe. And it wound up that my boss decided to leave once the, the league started back up again. Um, and we had lost our sports scientist to another team. So all of a sudden I went from just being the strength coach to doing everything and being the head of performance because I was the only person on staff that was a performance person. And so was able to do what I was doing in Reno where I was doing everything, um, but at a, a much higher scale in MLS. And um, we went into the MLS's back bubble and did really well. And I continued on the rest of that year as the only performance person on staff. And um, we were 15 minutes away from the final and uh, had, a, had a great season. And so stayed there. And then the next year we brought in a, a high performance director from um, overseas that didn't really work out after a few months and was let go. And so I went back to doing the same thing, taking over everything and, and really diving into that. And after that season, um, got a call uh, asking if I'd be interested in coming to Charlotte FC. It was an expansion team. And, um, you know, the more and more I discussed it with my current boss, John McGregor, uh, about the opportunity as far as starting from scratch and really kind of trying to build a foundation of a brand new club. I thought it was a fantastic opportunity because I don't, didn't think I would be able to get this again in my career, you know, being able to start from scratch and really kind of lay the foundations of things. So now in our third season here and uh, we're we just kicked on and uh, we're starting we're about three weeks, four weeks into our preseason now and, and start the third regular season in about two weeks. A quick question. Do you, did your family move with you when you moved to all these different places or do they, st do they stay put? So I 
was when I left LA, I had actually just been divorced. So it was kind of a good reason to leave LA. Um, yeah, so okay. the whole time I was in Reno and, and kind of Minnesota was single and then uh, met my now wife while I was in Minnesota my last year. And uh, luckily for me and for her, um, through COVID and everything, she's she's very high up in, in the corporate realm um, at this company called Target here in, in the US. And because of her position, she's able to work remotely now. And so we were able to make the decision of, you know, let's go to Charlotte. It's a great opportunity. It's a great city. It's a wonderful place. It's far better weather than Minnesota. And, um, you know, so she was able to come with me. And so we, we've been enjoying our time uh, there. But that is definitely something that was only because she's able to be remote. Otherwise, it would have been a, a much tougher decision to, to make that move halfway across the country. And Adam, A-list celebrities, who was your biggest celebrity? <laughs> you know, to, to, to be honest... Um, I'm sure you've been asked that so many still, times. That's pretty there, cool. There, I know. There are still, there, still some NDAs that, that are... Oh, is there? Okay. Years, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there's some people who... There's some people in that realm that, um, you know try and have that persona of being like really, really fit all the time and working out and stuff. And, and they, they don't really, the they need to hire people to, to get ready for the role. So, you know, you have to, they have to be, you know, have contracts and stuff like that. But I was able to work with some, a lot of people who were f actually from overseas and I had a lot of TV stars um, and then some singers and stuff like that. But the, the place that I worked in was basically a celebrity uh, performance center. And so I was working alongside a lot of really, really good um, strength coaches, some, big names in that kind of in that field now so if you know like a ben bruno i was working alongside him um brett bartholomew actually was there for a little while um right when he released the art of um <coughs> coaching book excuse me um the conscious coaching book and so he was a wonderful person to kind of work alongside and, and kind of see him work day in day out and um, there was a couple of other really really fantastic strength coaches there who were working with some big names and so it was more so the people that i when i would go in and look around and say what am I doing in here? You know, like it was, it was kind of a, uh, one of those things when I start first started working in that, it's just seeing all these other fantastic strength coaches, but then all the people that they had and saying this, how did I get into this? I was just working in, you know, in MLS and in sports medicine clinics and now I'm in this. And, um, so it was, it was an interesting transition, but in the end, I realized that my passion really, really was in team sports and working collectively towards goals and, and not necessarily running a business. And, and also when, when you're in that environment, you know, you see somebody for a few months, but then they go on set for nine to 12 months for this, you know, or you're working with them for eight to 12 weeks to get ready for a photo shoot or whatever it is. And then you don't see them for a while. So you're constantly having to kind of drum up that, that business and, and you know, make the contacts and everything. And it, some people love it. And some of my good friends who I worked with thrive in it and have amazing gyms and careers. And it was just one of those things after a few years that I realized, you know, I, I truly belong in the team setting and, and that's where my passion lies and especially in in football and soccer, you know, so it, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to, to kind of make the transition back into the team setting when I had that opportunity uh, through the ACU program and through some connections I had with the San Jose Earthquakes organization and it, I jumped at it, didn't matter if it was Reno or, you know, somewhere that was a tiny little town I wanted to get back in and so um, it, it was the right call because I'm now where I'm at and, and this is a fantastic place and a great club and you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to, to really do some incredible things in a couple of years that I wouldn't have dreamed about four or five years ago. If you know what I'm asking, cause I have a feeling that I've been to that gym. What was it? What was it? What's it called? Uh, so where I, one of the ones that I worked at it was called Granite Gym. 
Um, okay. And it's right in the heart of Beverly Hills. And then a good friend of mine who was also a business partner on a different venture, his name Kevin Lilly, he is one of the owners <coughs> of um, Heart and Hustle. And they're another big celebrity gym. And then they had an offshoot of this place called Trainer Republic that I would work out of as well. And so it's kind of a combination of those, those two to three places um, where all of those people were before Ben went off on his own and, and obviously Brett moved back to, to Atlanta to start out um, art, <clears throat> excuse me, the art of coaching and everything like that. So it was a, it was a cool place to be for, for those couple of years. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm really, really happy where I'm at now. Nice. Right. This unique opportunity to start something from scratch, like you say, comes around once in a blue moon, probably the first time and, and only time it's going to happen in your career. Nothing's there. Where did you start? Like, what was your thought process? Like the culture, the facility, the people, what was the first thing on your list to sort? And let's go through that journey because I think it'll be an interesting one. Because I think it's probably something that 99.9% of people in your position would just love to get their hands on. So what did you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody has visions and, and grandiose visions of, you know, if, if we were able to do something from scratch and, and take everything that is good and then throw away the bad stuff that you see, what would I do? And so I think that was kind of the thought process for, for all of us, myself, my boss. So I was initially hired on um, as the performance specialist where I was kind of doing a dual role of, of the strength coach and sports science aspect. And it was really, okay, how are we going to build this from scratch, how are we going to create a culture of performance? Um, and we had a lot of discussions and how we we're going to do this, but then reality hits. And one of the biggest things is, you know, obviously not only are all of the staff new to each other for the most part, but you now have 30 players who are all brand new to each other too, you know, um, because there's no pre-existing last season and this and that a few people had played against each other and in, in different leagues and whatnot, but it was, it was really a challenge just to kind of get the group to to be cohesive in general, just because everybody was brand new to each other. And, you know, I think at that time we had players, obviously, you know, this from football, but, you know, 17 countries, I think 14 or so different languages being spoken in the locker room. And so um, it, the, the main thing was just trying to get everybody on the same page and try to start with an education process of why we're going to do what we're going to do. Um, and then we did run into some difficulties because our department, was hired separately from the coaches. Um, and so one of the positions that the head coach, the first head coach brought in was a head fitness coach. And to be honest, they just didn't understand or respect the physicality of, of MLS. Um, and, you know, I, I remember tr having a lot of very heated discussions uh, about why we needed to be doing certain things in the gym, certain strength and power things, certain conditioning, like how we needed to be training and this and that. And, and at times it was very much a, no, we don't need to do that. Like we're going to just pass around teams. And, you know, like the, there was one, there was one time I, I, I'll never forget where we had a discussion where saying, you know, oh, you know, the guys in Barcelona, like Xavi and Iniesta and that they didn't need to go in the gym. So why do we, and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but with all due respect, we don't have some of the greatest players of all time on our team right now, you know, and, and it's a different league. And so some of the veterans uh, that had 
played in MLS were coming to myself, my boss, and, and kind of our staff and saying, hey, like, I don't feel prepared. I need, I need more. I need extra and wanting to do stuff on the side. And so it's kind of marrying the two of how do we do stuff, but how do we educate the current coaching staff on why we need to increase some of the physicality and some of the, some of the demands. Um, and in the end, you know, they, they only lasted about four months and they were, they were let go, um, from the club. And so the interim coach that he was one of the assistants, um, for the rest of the season, he had worked in the league before and he had been at Man City before that and Nice and stuff. And he, he bought into everything we were doing right off the bat. And so for us, it was kind of like the, those first four months were, really just trying to lay the foundation of like, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, really trying to educate players. There wasn't a lot of accountability from some of the some of the members of that coaching staff, and so it was difficult to really have full compliance. But then once we kind of took everything over, because we had laid that foundation of just the education piece and really showing people that what we're trying to do, especially players who hadn't really done much in the gym before or hadn't done a lot of speed work, you know, things like that on the pitch, you know, very foreign to them, showing them during those few months, this is how it's going to help benefit you. And then kind of, you know, bringing the data to them or, or certain things so that the light bulb goes off. And then when we take over, it's like, okay, this is why we're shifting to this. This is how we're doing it. And then the players who had been doing it all along or who are used to it kind of were able to bring the rest of the team along and, and really start creating a culture of performance the rest of that season. Um, and then Really, what we did was we just slowly chipped away at things and slowly started dripping in new stuff or more accountability, more compliance type things, certain monitoring aspects and whatnot, so that by the end of that season, we had really established a good foundation. And then going into the second year, we had that credibility with both the coaches and the players because a lot of them were returning and we could build on that. And then the second season was really expanding what we were doing because we had that buy-in. We, you know, we had the credibility already for what we had done. Um, and then the second season, not only expanding on what we were doing and really trying to get closer and closer to our true goals of our performance culture, but also the second season became very much about designing and building the facility, a brand new facility for us that we could eventually move into, which we did three quarters of the way through the season. So then it was always kind of an eye on that. And so then we start shifting some of the, some of the things that we're doing both before training, after training, some of the monitoring to well, how is this eventually going to evolve into what we're doing when we're in the facility, you know, so that it's not, we're doing it this way here and then all of a sudden we're in a facility and it's a completely different, you know, um, environment. So that became the part of the focus was shifting that. And we did a really good job of that over the course of the season. And then once we got into the facility, it's like everybody kind of just took off and it was, we had fantastic results the last kind of third or last quarter of the season wound up sneaking into the playoffs. Um, but it was just a, the mindset of the players and they had gotten used to what we were asking and what we were demanding and, and what we were looking at. And it was a really easy transition for them once we were in a space where they had everything readily available that we had been working on the entire time. How did you go about hiring staff? Were you brought in by the club with a number of other performance medical staff or were you put in then you were in charge of hiring yeah so when I was first brought in like I said I, I was the strength coach and sports scientist so I was really the only performance person on staff that was hired away from the coaches like I said we had the head fitness coach initially for that first coach and then my boss who was the director of performance sports science and he is basically a high performance director he oversees medical and performance and so we had 
the three athletic trainers um, that are mandated by MLS uh, on the medical side uh, from that standpoint. And then it was just me and then the head fitness coach. And then when they were, when, the, when he was let go with the coaching staff, I was the only performance person really on staff. And so again, kind of took me back to where, what I did in Minnesota and previously in Reno, where it's like, okay, I'm a one man band, but I can do this and, and figure it out. The only caveat to that was we were operating out of the stadium where we play, but because we didn't have a, a true facility, we were busing to, um, a field to train about 20 minutes away every day. And so that dynamic was a little bit different. And so having to do things a slightly different, altering timelines and, and whatnot. Um, but after several months of that, we were able to bring in somebody to take, kind of take over the position that I'd been in and, and, and really just focus on the gym aspect and be our strength coach for the last few months of the season. Um, and then he decided that he kind of wanted to get out of the team setting and, and went into the tech space. And so we brought in another um, strength coach who had worked in MLS for four or five years and I knew pretty well um, named Pete Gorka and he's still with us now so he came in at the beginning of last season and so he handles pretty much all of the strength and power programming um, a lot of our um, pre-training stuff which uh, we term performance preparation um, and then also he oversees all of our performance monitoring so um, our jump testing, like all of our valid stuff, our force frame, you know, our Nordboard stuff, but then, you know, several other things that we're doing as well. And so that's kind of his role and he oversees that. Um, and so he's the only other performance person on staff up until this year where we now then just uh, hired on uh, Matt Pell, who obviously, you know, from Catapult a bit as our head of performance science. So he's kind of taken a lot of the sports science stuff off of my plate so that I can really, really focus on just all of the performance uh, from not only first team, but everything all the way down throughout the club. And so that, that's been fantastic. Obviously I've worked with Pelly for years and know him really well. And, you know, we got really lucky. He was already living in Charlotte. And so it was an easy sell for him when he wanted to get back in, but also he knows all of us really well and, and has worked with us a lot. And so it's been great getting him in this year and working with him in preseason and really kind of building out a lot of things that we've been wanting to do and just haven't had some of the, the manpower. Um, and so that, that's kind of the way that our first team performance staff is set up is uh, myself and, and Pell. And then we have a head athletic trainer, obviously, um, on the medical side. And then there's two athletic trainers, one strength coach. And then we have um, people at each level underneath as well. Because that, that sounds super exciting. I'm sure there's people going, I'm so jealous. It's not only be able to set up a department, but set up a new facility. But one thing you didn't mention that we, we spoke about previously was the setting up of the structure below the first team and building that building that performance pathway. How did you decide where to start on that? Like what were your big rocks that you wanted to get in place to to then build on? Yeah, I think that that was another kind of eye-opening experience for me when when I came into the club and then we started our second team um, because MLS started its own kind of reserve league um, or, or second team league called an MLS Next Pro. And all of a sudden, you know, going, talking to the key stakeholders and saying, we now have a direct pathway to the first team, right? Because we've had an academy for a few years, then we had the first team and now we have a second team. You know, is there anything in place? What are we doing to ensure, not just from a, a tactical technical side with the coaching staff, but is there anything, is there a framework or anything that has been proposed uh, as far as how we're going to develop players physically? And they said, no, you know, why don't you put something together and, and present it to us? And so I did. And they said, this is, this is great. You guys work on this, you know, and which, which was fantastic. And so for me, it was really just, we, again, we have a brand new opportunity to create 
a physical development pathway from scratch, you know? And so taking stuff that we've all experienced in different places and saying, okay, how would we do this now that we get to start it? You know, there's, there's a blank canvas. What do we want to do? Um, and so, and, and the big thing for me was I wanted to bring in all of the performance coaches from all levels and not just have it be something that I'm saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. You guys need to implement it because that that's not the type of, of leader I am. And also I'm not going to sit here and say that I am an expert in the youth space because I haven't worked in it too much, but we have fantastic performance coaches who are in our academy who live and breathe that every day, who love that, who, who that's all that they look at. That's what their passion is. So why would I not take their feedback and say, okay, how are we going to build this out for the 14s, 15s, 17s, et cetera, you know, and they're able to kind of put their stamp on it. And then now they have skin in the game, so to speak, but they're, they're a part of it. So now it creates ownership for all of us and buy-in from all of the staff to really make this the best it can be instead of just saying, okay, this is the model that we're going to follow, make sure we follow it. And so we over the course of the past year have been really building out all of our progressions, regressions, basically kind of we term the, the framework, but um, a better term for it is actually a curriculum. And so it's really just at the 14s, which is our youngest um, level that we see on a regular basis. We have 12s and 13s that are kind of in, within a community that were, that are affiliated and do some stuff with us, but really the, the ones that are in the facility every day our 14s, 15s, 17s, and then we have a 20s, and then we have our reserve team, and then the first team, all of which are using the same gym. So when we designed the gym, uh, myself and, and, and my boss, John, in, in the facility, it was very much told from the beginning, like everyone, we're gonna have one big gym for everyone, so it needs to be designed so that not just the, with first team needs, but you need to be thinking about everyone. And so we have time slots for, for all the teams. And so it was really just bringing everyone together and saying, okay, how do we do this from 14s? if you know, a bilateral push, what is our optimal exercise, you know, peak, we want to get them to by the time they're hitting the reserve team, and then we can perfect it going to the first team, etc. Then what are we working backwards from there? What are we doing? You know, what are the progressions, regressions from 14s, 15s, 17s, 20s, each year over year to get there. And then we kind of went through that with every single um, big rock exercise that we would do for strength and power throughout the gym. And then on top of that, you know, the next phase is the movement skills. What are we doing to in really work on their acceleration mechanics, their deceleration, their top end speed, et cetera, like on the pitch, how are we doing that? And then what kind of conditioning are we putting together for each one, you know, and really taking a lot of the ideas from um, Des Ryan what, when he was at Arsenal, the stuff that he put out and just kind of taking some of those kind of pillars and saying, okay, these are some of the pillars we're going to work on, but then we're going to do it in our own way. And the, the rest of the staff really jumped in and, and loved it. And I was able to kind of put it on them and say, you guys come up with this, the progressions, regressions, because I want to know what you want to do. How are we going to build these things out? You're the ones, again, living, breathing this with these players every day. I'm with the first team, you know, all the time. So I want you guys to tell me what you see and what you find optimal. And then we would have discussions in our, in our monthly meetings and kind of come up with all of this and then put it into a document and then basically now we're at the point where we've finalized our curriculum and it's easy to say, okay, here's how we're going to progress someone from U14s all the way to the first team and all of these different movements and all of these different movement skills and conditioning. How are we going to do this? What are we going to do to develop? And then obviously it's on us as coaches to know when to progress, regress, when to lateralize based on their peak height velocity, you know, anything like that. If somebody's a high potential player that 
he's a 15 year old, but he's training with the first team. Okay, well, he's probably not going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that the first team is doing. So where is he at on this curriculum? And so it just allows us to be able to kind of slide, you know, back and forth and really make sure that we are not letting anything fall through the cracks. And, you know, again, it, I don't want it to feel like a cookie cutter approach for our coaches, but this is just a guideline for how we're going to progress. And then it's up to them to know, you know, how to individualize, especially for certain players that we're trying to move through the pathway faster. And so it, it's been a really fun project. And I think for all of us, and at times it's been frustrating because we wanted to get going sooner, but we wanted to make sure that we did it in a, in a really good way. And I think we, we've come to a, a pretty good spot where we're at now. And now we're starting to implement it in this year. And then it allows me as the head of performance to have discussions with each of these coaches and say, okay, what does your program look like for the next six weeks? Why are you doing this? What, like, how are you progressing here? And, and make sure that we're actually doing what we say we're going to do. Cause it's one thing to have this great shiny document, this for key stakeholders and say, okay, we're going to do all these things, but are we actually doing it? Are we actually developing them the way that we want to? And that we're saying, because otherwise, you know, what are we doing here? Then it's just how it used to be. And it is at, other clubs that I know of where everyone's doing different things. And it's kind of just like, hopefully we develop these players, you know, instead of saying we have a systematic process for what we're going to do and we'll continue to, to fine tune it and, and it will evolve over time and we'll perfect it and get better and better and better. And hopefully it results in more and more players coming through our pathway. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Adam. Hope you enjoyed part one. So we're going to make a transition away from what it was like to build his program from the ground up and move towards some wearable tech topics. Most importantly and most interestingly to me was the integration of video into the uh, GPS data and the physical data that they collect, collect at Charlotte just to improve the context and improve the conversations that were going on between the physical staff and the, and the uh, uh, technical coaches. So a really interesting part two coming up with Adam. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. I was going to ask you who you um, who you were looking to for inspiration, and for some reason, I had a feeling you were going to say Des from his, his yeah. time at Arsenal because he's put so much out there and been so open of, of what you know what he did. Um, so yeah, that, that's 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 cool. So you mentioned just moving on from the the kind of pathway stuff. You mentioned about the performance preparation before the lads go out versus calling it a warm-up. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about that? Why, what you've changed, what that looks like? Um, what, how does it differ? Or how do you perceive it to differ to a traditional warm-up? Yeah, I think it was a discussion that we had in the off-season and even towards the end of last season. Um, <clears throat> now that we moved into our facility, you know, we have this, this phenomenal gym that, you know, I, I'm biased because I, 
help design it, but I, I would put it up there against pretty much all the all the gyms uh, and the weight rooms in MLS. You know, and, and there's probably a lot around the world I would put it up in against. It's phenomenal. Play did a f- fantastic job helping us really design that. So we have this amazing space, all of this fantastic equipment. We have a huge turf area right outside the the weight room um, to do all sorts of movement skills, you know, and mechanics and things like that. And it was more just a trying to trying to marry the idea of getting the guys in there doing more prep work in there <clears throat> versus trying to warm them up, you know, a, a general warm up on the field, and and also taking what the players had come back with and saying, you know. Players always want to be on the ball, right? They 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 don't care, especially the first team, that we need to work on acceleration or we need to you know prep them for a lot of change of direction today because we're doing small side or anything like that. They just want to be on the ball right away. Just give me the ball. So exactly, <laughs> and and we do a pretty good job in the past of you know having certain uh, warm ups with the ball and certain ones that aren't, and and kind of making sure that we're giving them a little bit of that, but then also that we are really focusing on on things that they need to to prepare them for what the demands are going to be in the session. So our idea on the performance side basically became, well, we have all this space, we have all this stuff. We can really have them do a 30 to 40 minute, really good prep kind of warm up, so to speak, to prime them to go right on the pitch. And then that way we don't need to take the time on the pitch, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever, to do some sort of warm up. They can get right into passing rondos whatever it is get on the ball you know and and they're already going to be prepared and we don't have to worry about the fact that you know they're going out there cold or anything like that so we put it all together and basically include all um as part of our performance preparation which is we, we kind of termed it that this year and we're taking all of their individual prehab exercises that they need to do you know and, along with any sort of mobility a lot of dynamic flexibility things like that but then along with that um, certain plyos that we're having them do. And then we incorporate our performance monitoring into that. So if they have, you know, um, counter movement jumps that day on the force decks, or if they have, you know, ABAD squeezes on the force frame, or if they have a hamstring ISO 30s, again, all depending on what we're doing in training that day, that will be incorporated into that after they've done a lot of exercises to, to make sure that they're kind of warm for that. And then they move on into a lot of the movement skill stuff on the turf to prepare them for the demand. So obviously if it's a lot of change of direction stuff, they'll do a, a lot of different drills on the actual turf area, that, whether it's resisted or not. Um, we, If it's absolute speed or acceleration based, like we have run rockets and we have a lot of bands and stuff. So we'll have them do certain accelerations, you know, like explosive starts, things like that as we're progressing through. And then they basically finish with the first part of their strength and power session for the day. So we kind of have, we'll have them do their power exercises as a finisher to kind of prime them so that they can literally go from there grab their boots, walk straight onto the pitch. We already know that they've hit everything that we would have wanted to hit in the actual warm up on the pitch, but now they can just get right into ball work, right? Which is what they want to do anyway. And then also it take, it, it gives more time to the coaching staff as well so that they don't have to, you know, plan for an extra 10 to 15 minutes for whatever it is that we're going to do for a warm up. They've already done everything they need to do from a physical preparation standpoint, get on the ball, get them into, into training and focus on what we need to do for the day. And, um, it's, it's been pretty good, obviously in preseason, it's hard because we're not, you know, in our facility, we were only in our facility for a few days in between trips. So we've done a lot of the physical prep or the performance prep 
on the pitch beforehand, but the players understand, we educated them, we, we, I gave them a presentation as far as, this is how we're building stuff, this is why it's gonna be this way. And so then the week that we were actually in Charlotte in between our two trips, we, we tried it out and it, and it worked really well and the players seemed to respond really well to it and they understand it now. And so I'm really excited to see kind of moving forward how it evolves and, and how much more buying we get from the players, especially some of our older veterans who you could tell were kind of a little bit, <clears throat> you know, um, not not necessarily bought into being in the weight room as much before training. But when we explain it to them and show them and then they see the the exercises they're doing and how it's preparing them, it's like, oh, OK, no, actually, I, I get this. And I keep telling them this is this is what allows you to get right on the ball right away. You know, if you get if you do this and you do this properly, there's no need for us to go through any sort of general warm up or any sort of specific warm up on the field. We'll still incorporate on days when we want to, you know, we're having our you know, extensive days or we're opening up and we're doing a lot of high speed running sprinting. You know, we, the coaching staff, we've got a lot of buy in from them with this as far as if they need to after doing passing or rondos or a fir first possession or whatever, if they need to come over to me and do, you know, some sprint prep exercises or some buildups or some XLD cell work, whatever it is for a couple minutes in between drills, like that's perfectly fine. And we'll have them do that to make sure that they get it, but then they, they go right back in. And so um, I think everyone from players, staff and, and coaching staff have really enjoyed the way that we're setting things up. And, and so far it's worked pretty well. And, I envision it kind of improving and evolving over time to really be in a really good spot. And then we've we've started to kind of trickle it down in the lower level. So, you know, our second team uh, performance coach is doing the same thing right now back at home because they're in a preseason as well. So they're doing a very similar performance prep for a half hour before they got on the pitch. And then even some of our academy teams are, are doing it as well if they can get in the um, in, into the weight room beforehand, or we have kind of a gym in a box next to some of the academy fields. And so he'll, he'll kind of take them through some stuff there. And then that way they can get right in when, uh, training is supposed to start at whatever time with, with the technical coaches. So very non-traditional when it comes to football. And I can imagine, like you said, the veterans going, Hmm, this isn't what this, the, where's the two lines and the cones that we we've been used to seeing for the last 15 years. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. The Run Rockets, have they actually put any tech in the Run Rockets yet, Adam? Or is the Run Rocket the same as the Run Rockets always been? Uh, it's it's pretty similar. We The ones we have, we got about two years ago. So I, I honestly don't know if they have a new addition from there. Um, obviously, we, we basically just use it. Our, our strength coach will set whatever the, the resistance needs to be for certain players. Tell them to go here, go there. Um, we also have speed sacks and things like that. So we'll, we'll use a lot of different kind of modalities, so to speak, for some of our, especially our acceleration work and then a little bit of our um, absolute speed stuff. Uh, but it's really just to, again, provide a little bit of that resistance. And um, he's a better person to answer if, as far as whether or not there's more tech or if there's a new addition, you know, because he's always coming to me with like, should we get this? Should we get that? You know, and so um, I'm sure that there's a lot of other stuff that we could be using. But so far, it's been pretty good um, as far as what we're doing and, and the players actually buying in. And we're even utilizing those with our keepers as well for their performance prep for, for a lot of Excel work or change of direction stuff, you know, just to have, provide that resistance and, and get some explosiveness before they go on the pitch as well. How do you approach the goalkeeper stuff? Do you have, obviously, in terms of staff that just incorporates within the strength coaches remit? I know here in the UK, there's there's becoming goalkeeper-specific S&C coaches who are looking after the keepers, not at the first team, but the whole, you know, down the 
down the uh, academy and things. But how do you approach that? Yeah, I think actually, um, it's funny you say that. I saw something recently. I think it was Norwich uh, posted some posted a job that was for a goalkeeper specific uh, performance coach, and that was in during our off season. And I I thought that that was really interesting, and it was it kind of went along the lines of some of the stuff that we were starting to do last year, where. Um, our our strength coach actually was a, a keeper um, growing up playing and also in uh, college here in the states, so he already kind of has an affinity for the coaches or for the for the keepers. And um, our goalkeeper coach would go to him a lot last year, you know, when they were discussing what they're doing, you know, in the gym and as their prep work and everything. And so, you know, just had a discussion with with my boss, um, our, our director, in the off season, said, why don't we put Pete kind of as an expansion of his role, not just helping with doing the programming for the keepers, but he's actually going to be meeting with our goalkeeper coach along with myself and and Pelly, but Pete especially on a regular basis to help plan their periodization and their loading on field as far as their jumping, their diving, et cetera. And then to, uh, again, make sure that that coincides with what they're doing um, in the gym beforehand as far as their prep work, but then also their strength and power sessions afterwards so that we really have a global view of everything they're doing. It's not, they did a ton of stuff on the pitch, a, a ton of, you know, explosive jumps and everything. And then all of a sudden they're coming right in and doing, you know, more plyos, right? So it's really trying to make sure that we have a better understanding of everything that's happening. And, and he's really taking that and running with it because again, he has a, an affinity for that position anyway. And so, um, I, but I, I, we were talking about that a little bit last year, and I really took that from looking at that um, job description that I that just popped up. I think it was on LinkedIn or something like that uh, for Norwich, and I said, "Oh yeah, okay. I think we're on the right track here. Then, if we're going to do this, and so it, it's been pretty good so far. And I think we're going to continue to to really build that out. And we're we're building out lots of different visuals and periodization stuff. And, and Pelly's you know a wizard with all of that, so he's he's really taking it and running it as well. And hopefully, we can come up with a a similar type of thing that we're doing with the field players as far as our framework and curriculum, but we can do that top down for the keepers as well, based on all the things that we're doing here at the first team. It's really interesting because certainly from my experience, they just do their own thing, like disappear into the distance and do their own thing. And then they come back for the game at the end or the shooting at the end. I don't really ask any questions. They just do their own thing and they're crazy and they're just left to get at their own devices. But obviously that's quickly changing with this Norwich. I think there was a Newcastle one as well. I seem to think, okay. but there's definitely another one. Um, so yeah, it's certainly an interesting area, really interesting area. But in terms of one, one thing that we spoke about when we're chatting through these discussion points and what could be really interesting for people, and it maybe dives into Matt's stuff as well on the, on the GPS side, it's that video and wearable integration to give you guys more context of not they're just uh, player X did this, player, X, player Y did that, but actually marrying these two things together using the video to give extra context. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about how you're going to, why you're doing that, how you're going about that, and where kind of Matt's expertise plugs in as of his uh, his recent hire? Yeah, uh, it's it, this is a, an area that we're really, really excited about. Um, we I think we actually have a, a meeting this morning with, with Catapult to go over some stuff, but we, this is something that Matt and myself and, and John, my boss, that we've been talking about this for, probably a year and a half now. Obviously, Catapult has, has Match Tracker, and we've looked into that um, as far as the the wearable integration. But one of the things that we're really interested in and one of the answer the questions that we're trying to answer is, you know, what are we doing in training 
to make sure that we are really meeting the demands of the matches. You know, we, we, we get all the information from the matches. There's all sorts of analytics and things like that, whether it's through the league or through match track or anything like that. But how can we really analyze um, what we're doing in training and through video so that we're getting more context as far as instead of just getting a summary report of, like you said, player X did this, this, and that, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, player, you know, player X, who's a center back, all of a sudden had 175 meters of sprint in training today, and that that's not what we had targeted or projected at all, like red flag or whatever it is. It's now we can look at that video. We're using Focus, which is another product through, through Catapult, um, where we can upload all of our training video and basically sync it with our wearable stuff so that we can actually see not just where that player did that sprint or did a large sprint or whatever it is, but the context of why. And then we can sit with the coaches and say, okay, here's here's the video, here's what this player did, here's the speed they hit, here's the type of run, whatever it is. Were they supposed to do that or is this an outlier? Is this something that we need to be worried about? And if they say, no, actually, this is exactly what we were targeting, this is what we talked about in video with them before, and this is why we worked on that because of this situation here. Okay, well then for us, it's a, it's not necessarily as big of a red flag. Um, obviously, there's a spike and, and whatnot from loading, but it's so much more context than just looking at the GPS report. And And even if you're just trying to look at a video on your own, but now we can marry the two and really have all of the wearable data popping up and populating as we're looking at this video. Um, and so that was one of the things that we wanted to answer. And the other thing that I think is even more uh, in, important to us is, are we really creating the demands within the drills that, that the coaches are designing that we, of what we want to meet in the match? And so on one end, we can use the annotations through Catapult, obviously one minute, five minute, 10 minute, peak intensities throughout the match, right? And we can look at all that. And, and Pelly's been working on that even before when, when he was at Catapult, he, we were working on that a lot last year. Um, and looking at kind of the most chaotic moments of the game or the highest peak intensities, and then trying to put that into the drills and say, okay, are these drills eliciting that? But now we can take that and then with the video, we can really look at whether it's doing it in real time so to speak, when you're looking at the video and have the numbers popping up, especially with something like an acceleration load, and, and which is an intensity metric that we're really looking at. Are we hitting those peak match demands or higher so that we know that we can withstand them within the match, but then you're actually seeing it happen and you're getting the, the metrics within the video as you're watching it to make sure that we're hitting it, or if it's not, why are we not doing it? What's the context within the within the drill? What needs to be changed? And then that's a conversation that we're actually able to have with the coaching staff of, okay, this was the goal for this drill. We wanted to hit X amount here or do this, and we didn't. Well, why is that the case? Okay, when we look at the video and have the integration from the wearables, now we can see why we're not doing it or what's happening or what this player is doing differently or why. And then they're able to take that, whether it's technical, tactical, and we can make tweaks so that we are, the next time we do it, trying to hit those peak demands or again, at a higher level so that they're able to withstand it. And so it's still very early days for us with a lot of this, but those are a lot of the questions that we're really trying to answer. And then the, the kind of the next step is also um, Dean Smith, who's our new coach, um, he's very interested in what's happening in possession out of possession. So now we can take that from the video as well with the wearable data and look at it, certain players or the team as a whole when we're in possession, out of possession, what are the metrics within certain drills? What are we doing? How, is, how does this look? Um, and again, it's really about just trying to bring the coaches 
under our tent, but us under their, their tent a little bit more so that we're kind of speaking all the same language and really working towards the same goal and have more information and something that they're used to looking at, which is video, as opposed to just reading the reports at the end and having discussions. It's really like, how can we sit down and kind of look at everything globally and say, this and this go together, this is why, and then what do we need to change or what are we doing that's good that we need to keep? And it just allows all of us to kind of have a better workflow, I think. How was this integration meant? What's the integration meant for you in terms of your understanding and detailed, or detailed understanding of the game itself, of the tactical, the technical aspects of the game versus being a performance guy when you look at the physical numbers and that's kind of sitting over here with the technical and tactical sitting over here because what you're doing is that. So this physical side is is having to be kind of underpinned by this knowledge of the technical and tactical, which I'm guessing you've obviously got because you've been around the game long enough. But when you're dealing with someone that's managing the Premier League and has that unbelievable understanding of that, I suppose, have you had to kind of up your game to be absolutely. to be able to yeah to be able to understand what what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's been a, a fantastic education process for me just going through this even last year when we were starting to dive into stuff and, and trying to look at, at match tracker and just looking at what's happening in a match from a context standpoint of looking at the data that we see you know summary at the end but then being able to see the actual specific run what are they doing how what like what's the arc of it what what's the situation there and building out you know at the time whether it was a warm-up stuff last year or you know, having more discussions with the coaches as far as, okay, this is a drill that you guys are going to do, but can we make this run look like this because this is what happens in a match and then this is the speed that they get up to and, and all of these different things and having that discussion, some of that education. But now you bring in Dean, you know, and the stuff that he is pushing and for our staff to be doing, um, especially, like I said, the in possession, out of possession and, and the match demands and the peak intensities, really looking at all of that and then understanding, well, why are we hitting it or why are we not hitting that? What is it, like they're big on spacing and, you know, all of these different things that, you know, I know of, but just being able to kind of hear that on a regular basis. And when you're looking at it and say, okay, this is why this is happening. This is why this is happening. This is how this person's going here, which is causing this, you know, from the physical data. It, it, it's just, again, it's such a brilliant way to put stuff together that I think, so many teams are going to start doing. I, I know there's a lot of teams that are already doing it across the world, but I think it's really this is something Pelly and I talk about it a lot. Like it's it's really the future of performance. I think is really being able to take all of that physical stuff and put it with the video so that they're it's almost happening simultaneously. You know, the technical, tactical, and the physical all within the same realm, and everyone is speaking the same language, and you're really having a greater understanding of the game overall, not just one aspect of it. I think. That's really what we're trying to get to is where everything is happening all simultaneously. And when we're picking drills, it's because of all of these reasons, not just because it's technical, tactical, or not just because we're going to hit these physical targets. It's, you know, we're going to get all of three, four, five of these things together in one that's going to check this box. And we know that we're going to be better prepared on the pitch from a physical, technical, tactical standpoint. Another way you're making the most of your GPS is speed sig. Our mutual, yeah. mutual, they have mutual, mutual friend Jason Weber. So tell us a little bit about how you're utilizing that, where you're utilizing that, um, just just briefly. Yeah, SpeedSig is is really interesting for us. We kind of tested it out a little bit last year and played with it, um, but didn't have as much 
buy-in from from our previous coaching staff last year on on doing some of these things. But again, Dean has been great because he's he's been around some really high-level professionals when he was in the Premier League. Um, so he's very open to us doing a lot of different things and bringing stuff to him. And so this is one of the things that we talked about. And um, we had Jason out here at the end of last year and put together a presentation on on really what we could truly do because we had just been scratching the surface. And so starting with uh, preseason this year, we've been using SpeedSig, you know, every single week, you know, so a lot of times multiple sessions a week. And we're really just, again, scratching the surface. But what we've been doing is we have a lot of um, sprint prep exercises as, that we build into, like a lot of people do in preseason where, you know, they're running a certain distance at 60%, a couple of days later, 70%, 80%. And so every time that we were doing those, every single player was wearing one of the speak stick belts and we just pop, you know, all of our staff would run over, pop out their GPS, put it in the belt around the lumbar. And then as they do these runs, you know, we're tracking that basically. And then we can upload it into, into the speed sig website. And then we have data and now we have data at sub max velocities. Right. And so we're able to track them at 60%, 70%, 80%, et cetera. And, really look at their running mechanics, obviously, in a constant velocity, but then we also started incorporating as we got higher in 80% and 90% in you know, smaller spaces, really looking at the, what do they do when they accelerate because they have to accelerate so quickly there to get up to speed in a small amount of space, but then also we have the deceleration you know, profile as well. So now we're able to build out a full profile through preseason of their acceleration um, profile, their deceleration profile, and then their constant velocity profile. And for us, we're building all of this, we're getting all of this data throughout preseason so that at the end of it, we're able to take a look and really look at the loading profile, the running profile for each player and what are we seeing, you know, who's compensating here, whose mechanics are off here, what is going on. And then when we look at the needs analysis for all of our players, is that does that match up with some of the other issues that we've seen, you know, through our performance monitoring or through previous injury history or anything like that? And so I think it's just it's just one more piece of the puzzle that we can use to really look at stuff. And you know, the one of the things that Jason says all the time is, and I know he said it on, on the podcast with you a few weeks ago, is um, <clears throat> we do jumping with force plates and all sorts of stuff all the time, right? But other than a few laboratories in the world, you don't really get that from horizontal when you're running. You know, you don't get that measure. So what do players do all the time? They're on the pitch, they're running, you know, they're, they're sprinting, they're accelerating their deceleration. So how can we really um, look at that and analyze it and make sure that we're not letting something fall through the cracks. And so for us, that is the main reason why we started incorporating it. And again, it's early days, but we are going to analyze it and it's something that we're going to be looking at and we're going to have the players do pretty regularly, you know, even if it's something as easy as, you know, they got to do some top offs on, on a minus three because they didn't hit their high speed running or, or sprint targets for that day well at the end of training okay great throw on the speed sig belt we'll put it in there and when you do your top offs you're wearing that so that again it's similar to like the vbt stuff where it's invisible monitoring so to speak um, obviously they have to put it on but with the acceleration and deceleration stuff they can keep it in their thoracic mount if if you don't want to put the belt on so you really can just have them do it like normal and still get that analysis and so for us it's just how can we cons consistently be monitoring the players in that and make sure that we're not letting anything fall through and then how do we correct stuff and what if we do see any issues what are we doing in the gym from a strength and power side or from their prehab exercise or their performance prep or anything like that to address those things so that whatever imbalances issues asymmetries things like that we're seeing from their mechanics are being addressed so that it doesn't become a problem later right and so it's trying to catch them ahead of time and 
Um, the other way that we are really going to be using it as well, obviously, is, is within the rehab space. And so having all the guys wear it at the beginning of preseason, you know, we, we only really had uh, one or two players who were still kind of rehabbing stuff from last season um, coming to start preseason. So we were able to get good data on pretty much all of the players that started preseason with us, you know, for the first couple of weeks when we were doing it. <clears throat> so as we continue to do it, if anybody does get injured, we've had a couple of small little things and we're rehabbing players right now. Well, then we start having them wear it when, when they get to the stage where we are doing specific runs and, and whether it's high speed running or sprinting, et cetera. And then we can compare the two and say, okay, how has, how's it changed? What is this person compensating more because of the injury or are they where they were at their baseline? Was their baseline off a little bit and that's what caused the injury. So now we can start looking at those and comparing just like you do with all, you know, all the other monitoring tools that you, that you have on a regular basis but it allows us to incorporate it as part of the rehab process as another kind of box to check to get them closer and closer back to their baseline as long as their baseline, there wasn't any issues. And so again, it's just one more piece of the pie on the performance and rehab space for us that uh, I think is going to provide an incredible amount of um, information as we move forward and we really get used to using it, looking at it, analyzing it on a regular basis. And, and Jason's been great with everything. You know, he'll answer questions at the drop of a hat, you know, shoot him a, a WhatsApp and, and he's usually pretty good. And obviously he's got, he's got other people working with him now too. So, um, I think the, the sky's the limit for, for speed sig, but for us, we're, we're really lucky that we're able to utilize it right now and, and, and hopefully find a lot of valuable information to prevent, I, I hate using that word, but reduce the risk of injuries in the future, but also to make sure that as we're rehabbing players, we're, we're reducing the risk of, of re-injury down the line or another injury as a compensation. Love it, Adam. We've covered loads, but one thing that I do want to mention is the PSPA, which was launched, officially launched, or just a general meeting um, before Christmas? Just before Christmas? Yeah. Or just after so, Christmas? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Before Christmas. Yeah, so the the PSPA is it's the Pro Professional Soccer Performance Association. So this is something that has been in the works for years. Uh, anybody who has worked in MLS or worked around MLS um, knows we've been talking about it as performance staff for for a long time. You know, our, our counterparts on the medical side, uh, our athletic trainers, they have the Professional Soccer Athletic Training. Um, society that they've had for years and years and um, they have a good relationship with the league and it, it allows a lot of things and it's just again an association for them to meet regularly and to you know provide all the different necessary stuff that they need and so we've been talking about the performance side for a long time and finally we're able to put the pieces into place this year um, we, we were able to get the NSCA involved which was fantastic and at the end of this past season we had um, a performance meeting at the same time that the meta MLS medical meetings were happening in Florida in December. And so we had our official first official meeting and it was really just introducing, this is what this is going to be. This is how it's going to be organized. And then also we were able to vote on all of the board positions, um, as the creation. And so I was lucky enough to, to be voted in as the, the secretary. And so, um, I'm working with uh, Dave Tenney, who's our president and Garrison Draper, who is our vice president. And, we it's still very 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 early days we just had our first real board meeting but it's really just organizing of you know how to what are we doing to establish this um getting that into place and then from there it's what are we doing as an organization to provide um, information support to all of the performance professionals within mls you know there are specific 
positions within MLS that are performance mandated positions through the league that every team has to have. But, you know, it's only a couple and there are teams that have seven, eight, nine, you know, performance staff members. So bringing all that together, basically cataloging who's doing what, what teams have, creating a list, but also doing certain things like you guys have done with Sportsmith where, you know, salary surveys, not just a first team level, but at reserve team, at academy, like what is everybody getting? What are we doing? What is, how can we increase the professional standards across the league, you know, so that everybody knows what everyone is doing, but also, so to speak, but also within the league, trying to drive that of, you can't have certain teams providing minimum wage for a, for an academy, a head of academy position or something like that, like that, those are some of the goals, but standards at every single level. And then also really providing a lot of continued education to our members, um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, having, having that organ organized meeting or conference, so to speak, at the end of every season to provide the continued education, bring in really, really fantastic speakers and presenters, but throughout the process of the season, making sure that we're providing information from MLS to our members, uh, whether they're performance coaches, whether they're performance scientists, whether they're high performance directors, you know, et cetera. We're making sure that everybody's in though, everybody understands, and, and really trying to build out an association that all performance members want to be a part of because we want to benefit performance in general, not just in MLS, but in, in the US and North America, you know, and, and hopefully globally at some point, because eventually, right now it's just MLS teams and MLS Next Pro, but there's plans eventually our academy performance coaches or USL, which is a second division, you know, or the, the NWSL, which is obviously the women's league. Like, you know, how can we, you know, bring everybody under this tent and really try and drive the field of performance within professional soccer here in the States and abroad so that we can be at the forefront of everything and we know what's happening. We have a seat at the table with the, with the league and really just try and build this out to be something that we're providing the support that, you look at the NBA, they have the Strength Conditioning Association for NBA. The NFL has the same thing with their performance coach. Like, what, what are we doing to, to really help our members, but also just performance professionals in general, you know, to provide them with everything that, that all of us need to succeed and to thrive and, and, and also the protection. Um, you know, what does everybody get? What's, what do the contracts look like? Just having a lawyer on board to be able to look at contract, you know, just a lot of things that people don't have access to. Um, so what can we do to really, really improve upon that here in the States? And, and that's kind of a lot of our long-term goals. And so we're just kind of getting started with that, but it's, it's really exciting because it's been a long time coming and we finally kind of got it, got it, the ball rolling. And I think it's the sky's the limit for that. And I'm really excited to, to be a part of it at the beginning and, and see kind of where it goes and see where it's at 10, 15 years from now. Exciting times and great to be at the uh, involved, heavily involved in, in what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Anyone that wants to know more about you or the work that you got going at Charlotte and the, um, and the association, where, where's the best place to, uh, to follow you? Yeah. The best place it would be probably LinkedIn to get a hold of me, shooting me a message on there. Um, I'm definitely not a, a, a Twitter or X guy, um, but <clears throat> the other places on Instagram as well. I'm usually pretty active as far as, you know, look, I don't 
post a lot of stuff on there, but um, it's a great place to message me, and I'm usually pretty good. But I think the, the number one place would be LinkedIn. Um, and then if you need to shoot me an email or anything, if you just shoot me a message on LinkedIn, and I'm happy to give you my email address so that we can have a, a more detailed discussion. And you know, when we're out of preseason and I have a little more time, I, I'm usually happy to try and jump on some calls. You know, even if it's across the pond or anywhere in the world, and have conversations around performance or you know various other topics as well to try and help you know, younger professionals, older professionals, anybody to just have those discussions and, and bounce ideas off each other. Sounds great. Well, thank you very much. Look forward to keeping in touch and um, good luck with the rest of the time on the West Coast. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Adam. Thanks for tuning in to episode 486 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So really big thanks to Adam for firstly getting up early and secondly getting up early in the middle of pre-season when things are hectic. So really appreciate him giving up his time and giving his insights into what it was like to build a performance staff, performance program from scratch. Also big thanks to Team Builder, Play and Vild for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in. I look forward to chatting to you next time.